to the show, everyone. Great to be with you today. Paul George in the studio with Chad Bayro, a.k.a. Uncle Chad. Great to be, to be with be you today. Here. Yeah, absolutely. We are absent our third partner in crime, uh, Deacon Adam Conk, who actually is stuck on the side of the road. <laughs> he was on his way in. He got a flat tire, which I'm super proud of him because, like, obviously he got out of his car and went to change his flat tire, which is a, a life skill. Yeah, and everyone he, and he's as an a adult. grown adult should be able to do it. Yeah, and it reminds me, like, I, I need to make sure my kids know how to change a flat tire. Now, you know, it, it's, you know... It could be complicated, which in Adam's case, it got complicated because he went to change the flat tire. <laughs> and if you know Adam, you're just like, yeah, he just rolls with it. So his spare was flat. So when you have a, a, a flat spare, which is kind of one of those things you kind of have to, you should check on, but you forget. Yeah. So it, brief life skill. Our life thing that you should own is a plug-in like air, air compressor yeah. that you have in your car yeah. that you can just plug it into the cigarette lighter or whatever. Yeah. And you could air up that spare. No worries. Air that spare. Air that spare. So I try in like all of our vehicles and kids as they get older is to like give them like, you know, a, a little air pump in their car, <laughs> um, jumper cables, you know, like little things right. that like, you know, could help in the moment. Now, if it's a major breakdown, obviously you got to call somebody. So anyway, I was just laughing just seeing it because he's just calling me calls. He's like, it's going to be fine. Somebody's coming, you know, and I was like, that's just great. Like you're just not letting because, you know, there's times in our life. Right. And I know I find this out for myself, like little things like that can just derail Dude. my day, Oh gosh, you know, yeah. like a flat. And it's just so the inconvenience and like you have your day plan out or, or you, you know, you you finally were like feeling good about the day and like <laughs> something like that happens. Right. And yeah. then and then. And then the spare is flat, and then you're on the side of the road. And, you know, the, honestly, like, the way Adam's handled it is he's, like, Dude, fine. You know, impressive. he's, like, you know, everything's going to be okay. Whereas there's times where that could just totally derail me. I'd be in a horrible oh mood. I probably would have said some things I regret. Yeah. You know, I would have, you know, whatever the case may be. And we're in the middle of Lent, right? And it's 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 in this point in Lent that it's easy to get derailed. I'm not talking about like a a flat tire or something like that. I'm talking about like it's easy just to get off course and kind of go back to our old ways and old habits. Yeah, I feel like I feel like right now you really start to feel the thing that you gave up. You're like, gosh, if I just had that thing, I would be much happier right now. If I could just eat the sweets or if I could just if I wasn't just adding this thing to my life, then I would be back to normal and happy and content. Lose yeah. sight of why you did it. Yeah. And I've, I've actually had those moments where I've said to myself like, Oh, it's okay. Let me just take a break from mm. the fast or, or give it up. And it's not that big of a deal. Just, I just kind of have this like urge or this little tug to kind of just go back to what was comfortable or what, you know, what I gave up or whatever the case may be. And I was like, man, that's, that's crazy. Like, you know, feeling this, this sort of tug and, and not at the end of the day, like it, it's like, gonna be like alter my life but right i could feel like that 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 lack of discipline and perseverance wanting to creep in mm -hmm. you know at this point in lent and look we still have a little ways you know three you know yeah, weeks, and, weeks, and, weeks and such you know it's going on so i want to encourage everyone who's listening like you're in this point of lent and you're fast and in the process and if you've if you've you know kind of 
if you're struggling or need more discipline or perseverance or you've messed up, it doesn't matter. Like the whole point of the spiritual life is really get back up and kind of yeah. reset. And yeah. maybe, maybe it's a good time to like solidify why, like why did you give that thing up or why did you add that thing on, tack that thing on for Lent? Cause it, it's, it's good to go back to whenever you're, whenever you're really trying to justify, you know, taking, it's like just giving up and, and, right. and quitting, yeah. you know, it's a good, and it's good to make that why, for somebody else, not so much like a self-improvement plan, but like I want to give up social media so that I could be more present to my spouse right. or to my kids or to my friends, whatever it is for you. Yeah, absolutely. Helpful. Okay. So uh, we weren't able to uh, record last week because of life stuff, but uh, the, uh, so it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure you've had some time to think about, uh, have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? <gasps> All right. You're, you're for real and you have a, a have you seen? I do have a, a, real, a for real have a have you seen. So uh, what was your favorite vacation, Paul? Ever? Taken? Ever. Hmm. You know, uh, gosh, probably, you know, on, before I was married, uh, my cousin and I uh, went snow skiing. It was the first time I ever went. Mm. And it was just he and I. And we went to Lake Tahoe. And, uh, you know, no family, no worries, young adults, you know, and it was a blast. We, we had, we had a blast. So that was like pre-family, you know, like Mm -hmm. post, like with family, you know, like probably some adventure, you know, on a lake somewhere. Right. You know, right, right. Just off the grid. I like being off the grid. Yeah. I love that too. My favorite was probably this past summer. We went, me and Abigail went to Glacier National Park in Montana. I remember you guys did that. And we camped out there. Went on hikes every day and it was beautiful. Okay, what what would you what would you do if I told you that by twenty twenty seven? Okay, so six that's years like from six now, years. Yep, you could stay in a space hotel. You're very interested in space. Like a lot I, of the have you seen like your the it must extra be like, terrestrial stuff. Kind of like I don't mean to gets to I swear you. to you. I don't mean okay, to. Okay, so is this like a legit thing? Like legit you read thing. that there's going to be a hotel built. So there, this company is working on building a it's called i think it's called the gateway foundation working on building what they call the voyager Mm -hmm. and it's a hotel in space it looks like a big like wagon wheel and what it does is it spins and orbits the earth at pretty pretty low gravity so you can do all the space things like jump around really high carry heavy things that aren't heavy anymore run funny you know whatever you would do in space but it rotates so that when you're in your room on the edge of the hotel mm-hmm. you can have gravity again gotcha that's crazy technology it is you imagine the cost of going on that vacation like going into space you. and say okay so they have an estimated budget you. for this right now to get a room mm-hmm. is uh is this all inclusive so travel room all inclu- everything. okay <laughs> this is travel great. yeah the yeah. travel is probably the big the travel is a big deal here so yeah so they're supposed to make it look like a hotel like mm-hmm. a pretty normal cheek bougie little hotel right um but it's going to be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get a room two hundred fifty thousand off off the bat their goal is to get it to be the same price as like a cruise which i don't know how you get to that point if you're shooting people up in rockets because that's a lot yeah yeah but that's their goal there's a part of me that it's intrigued by it, but like mm-hmm. I have no desire to fly in the space. I think it's just because of really? the danger of it. Like 
obviously by my newsfeed and the things that pop up in the heavy scenes, (laughs) I am interested. Yeah. Like I just, you know, I don't know. I would, that's crazy. You know, and part of like when I like to go on vacation is to be off the grid. I mean, that's kind of part like you're off, off the grid, grid for sure. But you're, I'm sure you're like in this tubular type, you know, system, you know, with like, you have your rooms and stuff, but there's other people. There are tons right. of other people walking around like these, you know, I, I just yeah. imagine like these, this like spaceship hall type thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's people there. So, yeah, it's That's crazy. That's not, and I was reading, you know, um, recently, how, you know, they landed a rover on Mars and they were getting these really cool images. Like, you know, there's stuff that intrigues me about that stuff, but I don't, I just don't have a desire to travel there. Man, as a little kid, my dream was to be the first person to leave the Milky Way. That was my dream. Really? I realized that, like, that's probably not possible, but I really, I was like, I want to be an astronaut and leave the Milky Way. That was my goal. Wow. I don't know. So I do have a more serious, have you seen? Okay. I'm not going to play the music again. Okay. But, um, one of the things they're noticing, experts are starting to sound the alarm and saying that, uh, the declining birth rates among the younger generations mm-hmm. is now a crisis, a crisis, a crisis. They're saying by 2064, we should reach the peak of our population. And then in the next decade, drop by a billion people. Wow. And is this globally or is, this it, is, globally. is it more so culturally, they're saying, like certain certain countries or is it kind of like... They're saying the global population will drop by a billion. Wow. The decade after 2064. Well, this is a, a huge interest for us who are Christians and Catholics, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of effects, you know, that, that are causing the decline in birth rate. And I've actually been talking about this for years when I give talks, particularly about the young adult culture. And, you know, when you look at the young adult culture, um, there's a decline in the marriage rate. Right. And not only a decline in the marriage rate, so there's a decline in the age in which young adults would get married or do get married these Mm -hmm. days. So the average young adult, you know, culturally now is not getting married until they're 30 you know, sort of the average age. So you're like an anomaly of like you guys got married before you were 30 and had a baby, right, before Mm -hmm. you're 30. Whereas culturally, like the average is like, hey, we're going to wait till we're 30, we're going to go to school, we're going to buy a house, we're going to live together, we're going to do all the things and pretend, and then, oh, maybe we'll get married, but maybe not, right? Yeah. And so this is the first time in history, actually, side note to the Have You Seen, is that we have, uh, first time in history known since they've obviously been keeping you know track that they're the same amount of adults in our country that are married the same statistics that are unmarried so it's 50 50 people adults that are unmarried compared to married so if you looked like in the 60s 1960s which isn't that long ago like 78 percent of adults were married Mm -hmm. now only 50 percent of adults are married right so if you take that and you begin to span that out and say less people are getting married, the less people are obviously having babies, and then you throw in the birth control, right, which right. is a global you know, epidemic. Um, so that's going to decline birth rates because people are using birth control. They're not having babies. Um, you know, China's been way ahead of the curve, not only in birth control, but in actually murdering yeah, you know, children gosh. who were born, but... You know, if a family has multiple children, maybe on accident, you know, they'll get rid of it. You know, so either right. they're, they're put in an orphanage, taken away, or they're murdered. If Then a lot of families are there or like, you know, because it's prized to have a male son, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll send a son. <laughs> you know, that, that is a good word these days culturally. Like, is your son male? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, like actually, yeah, he was born that way. Um, so if they had, if they had a girl, you know, that's part of Okay. So then you play that out, right? Right. Everybody who's listening and following, we're talking about, you know, the decline in, in the population, which has effect on like actually, you know, the birth rate. Right. Mm-hmm. So if in China, uh, Males are prized. Well, you can only have you can only have babies, you know, with a female. Okay, so then there's less females compared to males in mm-hmm. that country. Okay, so then in this country and in other, you know, maybe, you know, first world countries, like birth control is like just anomaly. Like like parents start giving it to their their children, you know, early on. Like you know, be sexually active, but use birth control, and then just right. becomes, you know, we deal with couples who are struggling in fertility and they don't know why and they want to get married and have kids. And then they don't realize that, you know, the birth control drugs that they've been on mm-hmm. for so long is actually the thing that's causing the fertility down the road. But so, I've never played out the whole population thing. So as you're reading yeah. about this, like what, what effect does this have? So, well, it means that the population is aging mm-hmm. and at least in America, one of the issues they talk about, and I mean, it is what it is, but um, that the older generations will not have the same amount of young people to rely on to take care of them as they age or to help, you know, put into the Social Security um, and things like that. And so they'll have a harder time taking care of themselves as they age into older ages, you know, and, and living on retirement or these things like that. Um, one of the things I thought about was maybe we just don't say anything as Catholics. We just talk to our, in congregations, mm-hmm. you have the priest preach about, you know, NFP and not using birth control. And then uh, we keep repopulating like we do, you know, five and six and seven and eight children. And then we just take over the world as Catholics. Right. We could just do that. Yeah. Well, honestly, when you study world religions, um, you know, one, one of the sort of teachings, the dogma of the Muslim faith, is you know they don't use birth control or shouldn't like if they're if right. they're like an orthodox you know muslim you know follow the teachings um you know there's no birth control and they believe in like you know taking over the world population through like multiplying you mm-hmm. know like so like if you track to keep up like good you know that population of muslims is that they would grow in like just you know world domination in a sense mm-hmm. and i'm not talking about like you know uh you know, like we often think about the Muslim faith, we think about like, you know, war and like all, you know, the negativity of that. I'm just saying like, and just like in their good religion of, of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It, the same thing is like, so you're telling me like when Jesus says be fruitful and multiply, because <laughs> like, you know, there's something to that, like to be fruitful and multiply, like, like yeah. part of our, of our DNA is, is to, to, to cleave to the other, like to your spouse, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, man and woman shall cleave together, like to to be bonded together and to be fruitful and multiply as the scripture talks about is like, that's the very natural nature of who we are is to be unified with, uh, man and woman are to be unified and to bring life into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, There's so much to dissect from those statistics and just thinking about the, the nature of the world. But one of the things that is what you're saying, like stuck out to me is even you talking about marriage and people not 
like the marriage rate's 50-50 right now, which is crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I, I've been reflecting on Genesis, and one of the things God never really does is tells us to be selfish, obviously, but our, like to have a self-care routine right. or things like that. Not that it's the worst thing in the world. Sometimes it can be, I guess, but uh, God has created us for the other. Right. And until we realize that and realize that potential to be for the other and act on it, like we never really find a sense of purpose. It is built into our very being. Like it's not like God, you know, commanded it later on. Like he commanded it from the beginning that we were created to be free, fruitful, multiply, to um, subdue the earth, to have dominion over the animals, and and that it was not good for man to be alone. Right. Like we were created to care and to cultivate the earth, mm-hmm. not to not for ourselves, but for others. Right. And when we, yeah, it's just, we live without purpose, without it, you know? Well, and the very kryptonite of marriage is, is ourself, is yeah. selfishness, right? Like, and you've, you've been married long enough now to know, like, probably the times that it's been most tense or you've gotten in an argument, it's because you're just thinking about, like, your own needs, right? Mm-hmm. Your own wants, right? And that's the tug in our, in our, in our human sinful side is just to think about ourselves. But when, our marriage really blossoms and we're, we're, it's really flowing. It's, it's when we're in this living in this, um, you know, rhythm of sacrifice and self gift and selflessness, mm-hmm. because it's in that, that we find real freedom and, and real purpose, you know, uh, you know, when, when it says in the gospels that, you know, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, I mean, that's the image of what we think about in the Christian life flowing into our vocation. We do not, we're not called to be served in our mm-hmm. vocation, but to serve and to give our life as a ransom for our spouse, like to, to really live that out. When there's tension is when there's selflessness and self, selfishness. And when you look out in the world, like if you could identify just like the very problem, it's just, it's selfishness. It's like, it, you know, it, everybody just wants to be, you know, it's about me. You know? mm-hmm. And when you look at, you know, the population, it's like, no, I don't want the inconvenience of kids. I don't yeah. want the inconvenience of a spouse getting married. You know, so if you think people are getting married later and they're using birth control, then they might only have one kid. Right. Well, I mean, that's just not going to add to the population, or they might. You you're know. not replacing even yourself. Yeah, you're not even replacing, replacing that. So, it's a it's a huge issue that we don't think about much, and I think a lot of us, maybe around my age, are thinking, "Well, I won't be alive then," you know. But you know, your kids will. Like, it'll start feeling the effect of that, and then they start thinking about, "Well, what about the elderly?" Or when you get old, like, who's going to take care of you? Uh, you know, what's the social security system going to look like? But here's the thing, you know, Chad, honestly, is like, who are the people that we look down upon the most as a culture besides children, unborn children? The elderly. We yeah. could care less because once someone doesn't bring value to our society or world by working or bringing in money, we're just like, who cares about them? And I say we as in like a culture. We. Right. And we just kind of look over the elderly or the retired or people who don't bring value to our world or our economy and say, who cares if they die or if they're homeless or, you know, if they have no mm-hmm. purpose. And that is horrible. You know, that is yeah. the selfish culture that's basically just 
putting dignity, basically saying that dignity is only the value that you bring to society by your work. And yeah. that's it. Your dignity is in your financial worth. It's in... Like your dollar value. It's in what you do. That's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Not to mention that like money is, you know, hardly has any value anyway. You know what I mean? Right. So if our dignity is just in what we do, then, you know, we're constantly trying to find our, our true identity and dignity. And, and look, I've, I've met with pe- people who are extremely successful and people who are, you know, quote unquote, like more on, on the poverty end. And there's this desperate need and search to find out who, who they fully are, you know? And it's interesting when you find out someone who's really successful and they're like, I'm unhappy. I don't, I don't this is not bringing me purpose and meaning. You're just like, yeah, it, because it's not meant to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying that you, you can't have money or things or, or be successful, but the end goal is it's not created to bring you true joy and happiness and fulfillment. That's not mm-hmm. the point of it, right? So, you know, I often find that people who are most happy have the, the obviously a, like a true purpose in Christ. And if they are successful, that there's a real selflessness in giving it mm-hmm. back. Like there's a detachment to it. You yeah. know, they understand that, you know, this world is, is a, is pilgrim territory for them. <laughs> like they're, it's a good way to put it, you know, like they're, they're passing passing by so yeah it's interesting topic all right we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back the paul george show is made possible in part by our partners at solidarity healthshare solidarity is the catholic solution to the health care problem are you paying too much for your health care cost solidarity healthshare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our catholic beliefs best yet Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today, whether on the radio, KLFT Radio 90.5 and KDN, or on the podcast. I invite you to share the show on iTunes, Google Play, whatever, however you're listening to it. In studio with Chad Bayro. Uh, Deacon Adam is is on the side of the road changing a tire or having someone change it for him. <laughs> maybe he's at the, maybe he's at the uh, tire place by now. <laughs> I think I, I talked to him on the phone. He said the actual the tire place was coming to him. Oh yeah! Wow! Yeah, they, he he called him. He's like, they're That's like, nice. we'll bring a tire to you. They're they're like bringing him a used tire. What? They're gonna put it on for him. Nobody's ever done that for me. I was like, man, the life of a deacon, dude. So nice. You I know? I had this one time that I popped two of my tires at the same like at the same time. Same hit time. a pothole, busted two tires. Bang bang, dude. Bent my rims the whole nine. Dang, just real bad. And it was raining, and. I made it to like a, to park at like a little Goodwill and had so many flats. We just were a mess. We were all piled in a you know a few years ago in a minivan, like luggage everywhere, and like rolling down the interstate and just boom. Oh my gosh! You know, and so like I'm like you know skirt skirting like on the interstate, <laughs> like trying to get to the you know, and oh, then no. you know then we're under an, an an underpass, you know, with a small shoulder, you know, oh, and just no. trying to like 
you know, get the spare out. Cause you, then you, you know, when you, you, you have to take all the luggage out of the car, which is like yeah. nuts. Like if somebody oh. hit us, there would be debris everywhere, inclu- including limbs. Cause one of the, you know, like honestly, like the, the most dangerous part about changing a tire, like on the interstate is like being on the side of the road, yeah. you know? So I just like sent everyone like up, like, you know, like the exit ramp and said, just go away because like, I don't want anything to happen to you. Right. You know? So then I got the spare on and, and then we rolled up to like a Walmart or something that was like close <laughs> and got a tire, man, and just kept going. Yeah. Okay. Not to make this about tire changing stories, but right. I have one more. Okay. We, I was with a friend in Alabama. So away from home, don't know that place. And we were driving back to his apartment at like 11 o'clock mm-hmm. and his tire came off. It just flew the off. The whole thing. What? <laughs> the whole thing rolled down the road and it just fell. The did, car just fell. In the, it was like the front left tire. Just did skidded. he not ever check his lug nuts? Like Dude, feel this wobbling? He had just got it changed. So he thinks the place to get it changed at didn't tighten him enough. Yeah. Anyway, we never found the tire. It, <laughs> it was, it was late a, at night yeah. for one. Dude, but, that is so dangerous, dude. Like yeah. that is like. We survived, yeah. obviously. Right. But. Never found the tire. <laughs> it's just don't know where we thought maybe somebody picked it up and just ran away with it or something. Yeah. Just lost. Right. Tire, rim, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So one of the funny, <laughs> not to keep doing this, but I have a, a daughter off in college, and then you're always wondering, like, their safety, your kids driving cars or whatever. And she's my, you know, so she calls, of course, you know, my car is making a, a weird noise. And then you're like, you know, you ask the most, you know, stupid question of, like, Tell me the noise that it sounds like, <laughs> right? So then, you, yeah, yeah. Like, so she's trying to like explain the noise, and I'm like getting so frustrated, and uh, I'm like, it, I just don't, you know, it doesn't sound like the brakes is not squeaking, and she's like, you know, there, there's just like this grinding and wobbling, and you know, you know, of course she doesn't know how to diagnose it, and then I'm over the phone trying to figure it out, and uh, so finally I, I just said, you. Know, I don't know why it came to mind. I said, you know, it sounds like your tire's loose. You want to mm-hmm. check the lug nuts and like tighten it. And sure enough, like it was like that. Like if she would have kept driving, the, oh the tire would have just flown it's off. Terrifying. And, and, you know, she had had someone help her change a flat and they didn't tighten them tight enough. Gotcha. It's crazy. So anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, keep yeah. an air compressor. <laughs> yeah. Check the, your lug nuts. <laughs> nothing like a, like a radio show on, um, on the um, tips on, and tricks today on the, on the flat Chad tire. And Paul. Yeah. Check your lug nuts for lint. How about that? <laughs> like your lint and penance, check your, your lug nuts, you know, and put air in your spare tire, little things like that. You check know? your belly buttons for lint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. Um, anyway. so anyway, you have, you know, this, uh, this awesome gospel reading this Sunday in Lent, And it's just so fascinating because, you know, a really classic gospel reading, one of my favorites and I love, you know, it falls like right in the middle of Lent, you know. And, you know, you ask yourself the question, like, what does this gospel reading have to do with Lent? Okay, so uh, hence over, it's it's a reading of the woman at the well. And it's a famous reading. You know, Jesus is, is traveling and, uh, you know, he has this encounter with the woman at the well. And there's so many things here. Like, you can go on all day about it. Um, but here, here's what was interesting, you know, is, and, you know, I have a very, very classic way of tying in the have you seen with everything we talk about. Okay. And I don't know how I do it. But here's the tie-in. Is that for for the Jews, Samaria was an alien territory. 
like this is not a place that you walked through or entered. Do you like that? <laughs> that was great. <clears throat> and historically, what would happen is as, <clears throat> you know, the Israelites, Jewish people would travel, they would actually go out of their way to travel around Samaria. You know, some Samaritans were, you know, less than them. They, you know, they weren't obviously part of, you know, God's family, you know, mm-hmm. all these, all these um, sort of racial undertones or, or mm-hmm. division, you know, within, within these small communities really that are actually close together, you know? So it wasn't like Samaria was like, like we think it, it's like, oh, Samaria is like New Mexico from us. It's like, no, Samaria is like, like the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, like down the street, you know, a it's suburb. Like, it's a suburb, you know? <laughs> so, but it would be much faster for them to travel to Judea to just go right through Samaria, but they wouldn't, you know, they would travel miles around it, take some extra time, you know? And so this specific trip, and this is, this is, you know, where Jesus begins to rewrite the covenant in a sense, like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not, you know, with pen and paper, but the way that he does things, the way he, he interacts, the way he, you know, um, just, enters into the world like he he's he's reestablishing the new covenant by doing things a different way a new way right and so as as him and the disciples are traveling and he chooses to go through samaria there's lots of questions going on with the disciples like you can't do this this isn't tradition this isn't what you do like what are you thinking right so he's already just sort of rewriting the script of like no no there there are no there are no boundaries, there's no barriers, there's no borders for the gospel to go to the world, right? We're going to mm-hmm. go right through, right into Samaria. And not only that, I'm going to stop there and visit in the middle of this place that we think is disgusting or we don't like the people there or the culture there or we don't like their beliefs, they don't believe the same things. I mean, if this isn't more true for us today and any time in our history of the way that Jesus interacts with this woman is quite amazing, you know, mm-hmm. but to know the backstory and, and like culturally what was going on. So Jesus goes in Samaria and stops at Jacob's well with, which historically is a pretty, you know, big deal. Right. right? Um, and this woman comes in the, in the heat of the day, the middle of the day, um, Jesus, you know, knowing all things, both, both, you know, in his humanist and his divinity, you know, has this conversation with this woman and it, it's life changing, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not only life changing for her as an individual, there's, there's a, a new covenant being established on how like the, the disciples and how we now see the gospel and Jesus interact with like the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like how this is all supposed to go down. Yeah, yeah. Well, that the Samaritan woman, right? She had several husbands. This is the same yes. gospel, right? Yes, and same gospel. I think she's just like a perfect model for the people for us today, as especially especially those that have been away from the church for a while mm-hmm. and have been following, I guess, the laws of the world, if right. you will, like the the laws of the culture and like the things to do if you're going to be a man or a woman in the culture today. Right. And I think, I mean, at least this is what it left me after living that lifestyle for, you know, years. It left me feeling ashamed and uh, hidden. 
isolated. Like I didn't deserve to be this or that or, or to achieve this level of success or I wasn't worthy. And so, you know, it'd leave me sort of hiding myself and, and not willing to be vulnerable, not willing for people to really know me. Right. And so to have Christ approach me as he approached that Samaritan woman and say, yes, you're right. None of those husbands are yours, you know, and like none of those things that you've attached yourself to that you've made idols out of that you've dabbled in to, to hopefully find joy and happiness and produce fruit in your life. And they didn't, they left you worse off. They left you sad. They left you depressed and isolated. And Jesus says, and Jesus offers himself in that way. You right. know, right. Like, you're right. And I think, you know, when, you know, we asked this question, like at the beginning of like, why is this gospel fall right in the middle of Lent? I think you're hitting it right on the head is this, is that no matter where we are, like Lent is a reminder that we're sinful, right? Okay. Hello, all of us, you know, St. Paul writes it, you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory mm -hmm. of God. Like none of us avoided that. And Lent is a reminder that we're human, that we're sinful. The reason that we fast, that we we pray that we offer alms is, is to is to rid ourselves of the things that hold us back and and sinful ways like but we're we're constantly battling that's what lent comes every year right mm -hmm. because we fall back in our old ways why is a gospel happening this gospel happening in the middle of lent is because in a lot of ways like this gospel teaches us that there's nothing that jesus is afraid to walk through Right, right. There's, there's no sin. There's no shame. There's no situation. There's no border. There's no wall. There's no mindset that Jesus doesn't walk through mm -hmm. and choose to walk through. Right, right. Um, and in our life, like as we're sitting in the middle of Lent, and you know, we're faced with our sinfulness. We're faced with our regret, our past mistakes. The the maybe the mindset or things that haunt us, the things we still carry around with us, uh, just uh, you know all the 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 junk. Mm -hmm. Jesus chooses to come into that, to walk into that, right? And so not only is Jesus culturally moving to Samaria and say, "Look, I, it doesn't. I don't really care that I just crossed, you know, into <laughs> Samaria," but he's a Jewish man talking to a woman, which was really unheard of too. So like, then there's no, there's no, you know, human boundary there. I'm entering into your world. Okay. So he doesn't like send like a, a pigeon with a letter to call the Samaritan woman to like his office. Right. Okay. Like he enters into her world in the heat of the day and there, there becomes a very true vulnerable interaction mm -hmm. and conversation that happens. And when, you know, he already knows like her story and her, you know, but, you know, when he finds out that she's married, divorced and married, you know, multiple times, he's not like, okay, sorry, I can't do this. Like he just stays true to his love and just mm -hmm. keeps pursuing past all the excuses that she has. You, and she says like, I don't think you understand you don't know I've been married, you know, you know, five times, you know, whatever the case may be. And he just, he just keeps just kind of mm. drawing her in, drawing her in, pushing through the excuses and the boundaries and, and the walls that we put up. And, you know, when I look at my own life man, I can make excuses, I can mm -hmm. put up, you know, walls and, and, and sort of try to, you know, you know, hide 
or yeah you know just like pretend like everything's great you know and jesus is like no i want more i want to i want to come closer i want to i want to you know heal you of this i want to you know break that barrier down i want to remove this because what does he want more than anything he wants us to be free and happy this is what he wants for the samaritan woman mm-hmm. like he doesn't desire for her to live in the shame live in her past live in her mistakes he doesn't desire for her to be alone to come to the well alone in the heat of the day because we know that she's doing that because all the other women in town that would travel they would come in the cooler part of the day right because they're carrying it's these hot. water jugs yeah. so but they would come as a community and they would help each other fill these jugs and then walk back to town and they would bring water mm. to their homes and stuff like that. So just her isolation alone tells you that she had been shamed by the community, mm. you know, that she had been pushed aside. And so in her shame, she travels alone to the well and has this interaction with, you know, the son of God, the savior of the yeah. world. And, and Jesus pushes through. Like there's there's no like hesitation in Jesus because of what she's done in her life. Mm, yeah, I don't know if you, I mean, the wheels are starting to turn, you know what I mean? Like isolation really is that like symptom of shame. Yes. A symptom of of that caught up in sinfulness and not seeking forgiveness, you know? It's right. Like, just, I mean, it relates back to the other have you seen, like, we are a nation that's isolating ourselves absolutely as people you know like we don't want to live in community we don't want to know our neighbors we don't want to cleave to someone to a spouse right because we don't want to produce children yeah like we're ashamed yeah of who we are and what we've done and we live in that and we live in it and don't seek redemption yeah i know like when i feel like or don't let christ find us you know one of the at least for me one of the immediate sort of feelings or reactions I have when like I screw up or I do something wrong or say something wrong or I discipline my kids wrong or you know like the, I just feel like I just want to disappear mm, you ever feel that way? I just yeah. want to hide I just god oh. you know um you know and that's shame like shame is this isolation we you know the enemy wants us to be isolated and alone and then you know that's that's where we're you know we're lost right mm-hmm. so then we just wander on our own and you know we, we can't navigate our own life. We need God and community. And so with all that, um, I think it's, you know, when you see this woman isolated and alone and, uh, you know, coming to the well, she's probably thinking, I don't have much hope for my life. Yeah. I don't have friends. Oh. I don't have community. I'm by myself. It's hot. This is my daily grind. And if this is what life really is, like, I don't really know. Right. And the definition of a disappointment. And then when she thinks. Yes. And then when she begins to have this vulnerable conversation with Jesus, there's excuses. Well, I kind of deserve this. Mm. You know, so her shame has convinced her that she deserves this life. I mean, think about that. And that's what shame does for us is like, oh, I just deserve to be this Mm -hmm. way, you know, because of I've, I have done this to myself. Right. Yeah. Or someone else has done this to me and so then i just you know and she just makes excuses for that because that's all she knows and jesus just pushes through i want more for you i want freedom for you you know you don't you're not defined by this like you know if you knew who you were talking to right mm-hmm. he says to her and then she he's he slowly you know through the conversation like she begins to kind of 
see, you know, I, I think like she begins to see the face of God. Like he yeah. begins to reveal himself to her because her life has changed. Like she then goes, so you're talking about a woman who's isolated, then goes back into town and begins to tell everyone about Jesus, which mm -hmm. would, which would be unheard of because why would she go back into town yeah. and tell people about an interaction she had with a man <laughs> Yeah, when she's already living in shame? Because, right. Because Jesus is not a man. He, he I mean, he, he's human, but like he's God. And yeah. and he takes all that shame away to where she's like, I'm free. And mm -hmm. I want to tell everyone about that freedom. Yeah, it's not, I imagine her having her head bowed the whole time. And as she becomes vulnerable, you know, she just looks up and like meets his eyes. Yeah. And receives that redemption, that forgiveness, that love that he's, the same love he's offering his church as a whole. Right. The One of the things that I, I think about too is that like the solution to your shame and, the, and the, the cure for your shame and your woes and your isolation is Christ. And the temptation that the world tells us is that we ought to just demystify or uh, what is it, De make it not a taboo anymore to do this thing or this thing. And that's the solution to overcome our shame and our struggles mm -hmm. is to just make it not taboo anymore. Live in a little society where they'll let you do what you want, when you want to do it, and then you will feel good about it. But it just hasn't worked. No, like, I mean, I heard this, you know, this interview or this this thing the other day. It was, you know, it was like a famous person who is constantly like doing like nude things, mm -hmm. like taking their clothes off and like dancing, you know, and, and like putting these videos out. And in the interview, it said, the, the person said, I felt so much shame about my body that, you know, I don't want to feel shame anymore. So, so the, the antidote for their shame <laughs> is to actually bring more shame upon them, you know, like, yeah. And, and then to, to, to just bear themselves to the world. Right. Right. And that's not the solution. That's not the answer. Like, no, if that's, the, if that was a solution, I think we'd see results by now. Yeah. Like it's like, we've been trying to do that for a long time as a nation. Yeah. Like more sin doesn't make, it hasn't worked. It's, it's justification. And I think, you know, you've been there. I've been there. We've all been there. There's nothing more that we want to do with our sin than to justify it. Yeah. There's nothing more we want to do with our behavior, our negative behavior than to justify our behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm right. Or, or this can work. And so the, we just kind of keep piling it on, piling it on, but the shame just grows and grows and grows. And then we want to justify it more and more. And justification just pushes us further and further and further into bondage, mm -hmm. really, ultimately. And in this gospel, Jesus just wants to free us of that. Like he, that's, that's why it's like in the middle of Lent. It's like mm -hmm. everything you've carried, all the excuses you've had, all the things that you bring, it doesn't matter. Like in the middle of your world and your life and your struggles and your Lent, like I'm coming into this, like I'm, I'm moving in. You know, one of the, the, the biggest images of shame I've ever encountered and uh, is, you know, I was doing this conference years ago and when I got out on stage to give the talk, um, there was this participant, this kid out, it was this big youth conference and he had a paper bag over his head. Mm. with eyes cut out and it's like a brown paper bag and i was like oh that's funny you know it was like you know f you know beginning of the conference i was like oh he's just being silly and he wore it all night it bothered the heck of me so out of thousands of people like i could see this like one kid out in the crowd with a paper bag over his head and it like it was driving me crazy yeah. 
And the next day at the conference, I was like, oh, what the, you know, I forgot about it. I got back on and kid still had the paper bag over his head. And I'm thinking like what group leader, like adult who's bringing this kid would allow this to happen. But you know what shame does is that it, it pushes people away. It isolates you. And then people are afraid to approach you right in your isolation. And so that's all this kid out of his hurt and his pain. And so finally, I found this kid and I brought him, you know, kind of behind stage to talk to him. And he had this paper bag over his head and, uh, you know, just asked him like, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you hiding? You know, like, you know, and, and like, he just started crying. He's like, how'd you know? I was like, you had a paper bag over your head. That's how I knew. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not that like smart. Okay. So it's just context clues. And then, you know, I asked him to remove the paper bag and he did. And I just remember thinking like, he is just so shamed and scared you know Mm -hmm. and i remember telling them this you know like there's nothing there's nothing more important than when someone's in shame than to empathize Mm -hmm. because bringing on more shame doesn't help like what are you doing what do you think you're stupid you know like don't do this and i remember telling him i was like dude we all in some way shape or form have paper bags over places in our life and he's like really i was like yeah absolutely like some of us, we just show it in different ways or we hide it in different ways. And just to, to relate to him and, and, and to have this conversation, you could see like, oh, like you, you're not going to reject me mm-hmm. because of, you know, what I did. And, you know, I was like, you know, absolutely not. Like, but I want you to be free. Like, I want you to take this paper bag off your head and I want you to experience this conference, right? <laughs> like, and, and what God has for you and not live in hidden and in the shame. Yeah. And this is what Jesus wants for us. And this is why at this point in Lent, in the middle of of it all, this gospel comes to play. And so I just want to encourage you guys to read this gospel if you get a chance, not only on Sunday, but uh, before then. It's the gospel of John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. It's the woman at the well, and it will rock your world if you let it. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the radio or on the podcast in studio with Chad Bayrow, a.k.a. Uncle Chad. How did that start, Uncle Chad? Was it over the pandemic? I mean, we're uh, Yeah, it was over the pandemic. The, I mean, the quarantine? Yeah. Or but the, the, I don't really remember... I don't remember. I don't know how it came up, you know. Probably go back in the archive somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Figure it out, but it's sort of our nickname for you. Although you're not an uncle. No, and I don't even know when the next when I will be. I mean, you're just now a new dad, right. For six weeks, but none of your, you know, your wife's siblings or any of your siblings have kids. So you know, right. the first grandchild, the first everything. I know some friends. Some friends' kids call me uncle. Do they? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they can't talk yet, but they probably will call me uncle. <laughs> so. Like some of your close friends. Close kids. friends. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're like real close. and Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you are kind of an uncle. You're like that. 
you know, that steady, steady uncle. Okay. All right. So, (laughs) you know, great conversation happening. So why don't we do a six pack of questions? Question. All right, Paul, we've been talking about marriage a lot. Yeah. And woman of the well and those things. Uh, One of the things I get often, I've heard a lot, I guess question number one is like, why do I have to get married? What's going to be different? Mm -hmm. And usually from people that are living together and have been together for years. So I guess it's my question for you. What is different? Why should, why should they get married? What's different? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a lot to that, you know, so statistically, you know, I, I tell people like if you, you know, are living together before you get married or, and your statistics for like separation and then divorce go way up, you know, to mm-hmm. like 80%. So the divorce rate's at 50. And why is that? Because then you get into like some theology, which people don't want to know about, but you know, the full expression of your marital vows is, you know, the consummation, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the self gift that we had talked about of giving yourself. And that is actually, um, it's, it's, it, it is a, uh, it speaks a language of love and it speaks your wedding vows. So when you, when you make a commitment and your wedding vows, when you get married, a promise to be true to you, good times, bad sickness, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. Um, those vows aren't complete until you consummate the marriage. Like, like that is a full expression of your yes, your self gift. What ends up happening is people who aren't married, who are living together and, you know, with the assumption that they're, mm-hmm. you know, sleeping together is that they're actually making theologically an expression of their marital vows with no sacramental commitment. Yeah. And so the, there's, there's just this tension there mm-hmm. and that, that they can't fully grasp and understand. And then, you know, well, if I don't like this, then I can leave. And then, you know, like no one learns the virtue of self gift and commitment and, you know, working through things. And so when you just live together, you don't grow, you don't work through things. Like you just continue to kind of live as two single people with sort of benefits. And it, but it, I haven't talked to anybody who's happy in that <laughs> situation, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, the, the reason, you know, to get married is because the way that God designed us is to mm-hmm. is to be in one flesh union with 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 another, and to make that commitment, God. Because as you are finding out even early on in your marriage, is like without that relationship with God and faith, like why? Like this is where your commitment holds true. Like when you mm-hmm. don't feel like being married, it's like no, God, God wants this. This, this is good. Yeah. Like this is you know part of it and dang it you need that person like you really do right and that's why like you know statistically like the divorce rate for people who were in a sacramental marriage who actually practice the teachings of the church and you know natural family planning like the divorce rate begins to creep down to like three percent so like i'm all about like hey where's the best bet that looks really good yeah compared to 50 and to 80 it is the hardest you know, but it's the hardest because it's about sacrifice and people just don't want to you go back to what you had said earlier in the show. People just don't want to sacrifice or be selfless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So question two, why should you go ahead and get married? Why should you have babies? Why does it matter? Yeah. Because part of the theology of our body is to be, you know, is to be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. Like that's the way God designed us to be free in giving ourselves, like nothing's holding us back, to be faithfully committed and faithful to God, 
to totally give ourselves in that selfless act, right? And out of that becomes fruit, you know, mm -hmm. there's fruit of our love, you know? And so even people who want to have kids who can't, maybe there's infertility, the fruit of their love is still a sign of their marriage. The fruit of their love is the, the spiritual families and kids and, and ministry that they do together as a couple, and, you know, but the fruit of your love is life. The mm -hmm. fruit of your love is life. It, it is literally, it's, it's planting your love in the ground and a tree grows. And mm -hmm. so um, children are a fruit of that. They're a fruit, fruit of your, your love. And to have children is the, very, is the most natural expression of your love to your spouse. It's, it's, it's the fruit of that. Yeah, love creates life. Yes, love absolutely. It. Yeah, I, I had gave a talk this weekend to, I had a, a confirmation retreat. Um, and I felt, I felt like a real youth minister this weekend. Nice. I'll tell you why. I, for the first time ever, I gave a talk about my kid. Oh, there you go. I yeah. Know. I, was I like, mean, you can tell stories now. I know. I was like, I, I was like, there's two things youth ministers talk about every year and mm -hmm. at their retreats. It's like their wives and their kids, right? right? You know, their husbands, if you're and the funny stories about your kids. And right, right, right. Yeah. So I don't really have that many funny stories. I mean, he just sleeps and poops and right. That's about it. But I was, but I uh, gave this little demonstration, I guess, and I showed pictures of him, of course, you know, and whatever. Because right. all the girls and, go, oh, right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's really to draw them in. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And he's a good-looking baby. He really is. Of course. And uh, anyway, so. Uh, one of the cool things I got to do, and I, I've been thinking about this idea for a while and talking about it, is that in Genesis, we see like, you know, it says, at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And uh, in that, like, two become one. This is that, uh, and they were one. Yeah, he creeps yeah. his wife and two become one. Right. And and I showed them a picture of like me and, and Abigail and John, our baby. Right. And I was like, and then the potential for relationship that we were created for is, and the fruit of that is that me and Abigail became one. And it's clear because John is here. Like he's a real baby. Right. And he's alive. Right. And we made him. And our love out of, because of our love, because bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, we are one. You know, our love has made one and it's obvious. Yeah, it's crazy. In the children. The, you know, the church would say it that we're, co-creators with God. I yeah, mean, think about what a that. gift. Like, how powerful is that? That we, with God, create life. Like, co-create mm -hmm. life. Like, what? That's amazing that God would even give us that responsibility. Yeah. And yet He does. And yet, in that responsibility, we can do great things with it or we can, you know, do horrible things <laughs> with it, which what we see in our world is, is sort of both. Yeah. Know? So... That's why, like, honestly, like, in today's world, one of the greatest signs of God's love, you know, obviously, like, we know the, a sacrament is a sign, a visible sign of God's, God's presence and God's love, right? The Eucharist, reconciliation, you know, the, the anointing, uh, all those things. But in marriage, like, the sign of God's love is your marriage, mm -hmm. like, your relationship with your spouse. And, like, the greatest thing that we can do in the world and our vocation is love our spouse. And that is a visible sign of God's love to the world. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming a thing to actually like people look at you like, wait, you're married. <laughs> like you're faithful. Mm -hmm. Like you, like you love your, your spouse. And in that, like, like that's a sign of God's love. And you don't think about it because in your marriage, like you're, you're, you're co 
you know, you're, you're coexisting in this (laughs) sacrament, not only with your spouse, but with God, Mm -hmm. you know, and the two become one flesh and reflect God's love to the world. Yeah. All right. So we're only going to do a two pack today, (laughs) which is good actually, because, you know, I gave up alcohol for Lent. Okay. (laughs) So it's a sign that this is probably, you know, a good thing. We're going to give up the rest of the of the six pack, you know, <laughs> as a sacrifice. Give it up for Lent. Give it up for Lent. So anyway, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, thanks, Chad, for, for being a part of the show. And uh, feel free to share the show on the podcast. And um, you can visit us at discovertheartofliving.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors and to KLFT Radio. And we'll talk to you next week. God bless.